It's an exciting day to celebrate the center kind of graduating into its own, but it's also a day for us to say thank you to you. And in doing that, I want to challenge us by going back to a little bit of the genesis of the center. And we're going to do a play on words called centering. So if you look at a carpenter, leveling, centering, all of that's pretty important, right? Uh, If you were to look at an interior decorator, they're very carefully looking for balance and level and centering. Uh, If you were to look at Jason Kelsey, I I forget which team he plays for. Uh, Oh, yeah, he plays for the only undefeated NFL team in the country, yeah. Yeah, and so for Jason, his job is what? Centering. The quarterback depends on him hiking the ball at the appropriate time. Some of you are students of yoga, and you understand the idea of centering yourself, right? And uh, others of you may be gymnasts or ballerinas. I know there's a lot of those in the congregation. Or a photographer. All of those things have in common this idea of centering. With hunting season coming up, you're getting your scope all ready, you know that you got to be able to center on the target. But, you know, for most of us that give of our time, our substance, our, our energy to be a part of ministry, our centering has to do with the Scriptures that reveal this incredible passion of God to reach His people, to save us from ourselves, from our sin, and to separate us from that which would doom us. And so our centering is when we come on a Sunday or we open our Bibles in the morning and we pray, we meditate, we, we do mindful activities to say we belong to Him and He belongs to us and our life matters. So when I think of the center, its origins, it has to go back to this idea that there was a focus at Calvary. And it's really introducing the first of three important principles. And the first one is, foundational principle, not only for Calvary and for the center, but for you, is this, to whom much is given, much is required. And, uh, you know, Jesus used that phrase in a parable to remind the people that were listening to that story as he unfolded it. You've been given something, and commensurate with what was given to you, you have a responsibility. So when I think back on my orientation to Calvary Church and to the center, it went something like this. I was pastoring a church in New Jersey. It was a thriving ministry. It was growing, outgrowing my capacity to lead it well. And uh, it was suggested that I do some graduate work. So I signed up for a course, and uh, you'd never guess who the professor was. Jay Desco, right? And uh, I sat there thinking, this may be just another egghead like I'd had many exposures to in post-grad work, right? But he was different. He was really different. Because he spoke not just from theory, but from practice. And I remember going home that first night after class, 
and saying to my wife, I met a man from Issachar. She looked at me like, I think you stopped off somewhere on the way home. Who, who's the man of Issachar? Well, actually, the men of Issachar were one of the tribes of, of Israel. But what is, is so unique about them is the men of Issachar were people that discerned their times. That's the stamp God put on them. They were time tellers and clock makers. And that's exactly what I found when I met Jay. And over time, we became good friends. And uh, he was talking about, should we start, not we, but should Calvary we, start a ministry to help other ministries instead of starting maybe another church? Now, Calvary was very unique in the region. And some of you know this because you were here at that time. But Calvary, one of its distinctive DNA markers is it's always understood the core. Why are we really here? It's not for buildings. It's not for programs. It's not just for employing a staff. We're here to proclaim the incredible message of the gospel. We're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing people, making them converts and followers of Christ. And if that's the core, if that's the most important thing, everything else can't be as important. If the one thing that can't change is the gospel, that means everything else can change and should change. So there was that cross point where the leaders of the, the church said, let's start an organization. And we called it the Center for Ministry Advancement, right? And Jay was the leader of that. He promoted it, and we started to do some work. And I was a client, kind of like the hair club for men, you know? First I was a client, then, you know. And so... Um, our church benefited tremendously from the consulting work of some of the staff here at Calvary. Because part of their DNA was what? To whom much is given, much is required. They understood that we as a regional church, and by the way, 20 years ago, nobody was doing what Calvary was doing in this whole region. Because they understood the core, they felt free to do things that were pioneering, very different than what others were doing. It's interesting now to look at how many churches are emulating what Calvary did back then. Well, that's okay. That's good. But Calvary's always tried to stay on that cutting edge, not because we just wanted to be cool. We really did want to be stewards. So in 2004, I joined Calvary Church as part of the staff and became a part-time member of the center. And along with Donna Jacobini and some others, uh, Jay and I set out to change the world uh, for people. And what we had was passion. And passion means we understand the focus. We were centered on that mission that God called us to. And over time, God has brought to us an incredible staff who shares that same focus. But here's what I want you to understand. The center mark is your DNA. Here's what made Jay different in my, my life. 
he not only taught sound organizational principles, but he said, I have a laboratory. I am part of a church that is actually practicing, is actually doing the very thing that we're teaching. I had never met somebody who could not only explain well, but could show accurately how that's applied in the setting of a church. So it was so compelling. I remember driving up 309 and just asking God, God, would it ever be your good pleasure for me to be a part of a church like that? To be a part of a center, to have not only a friendship, but a working relationship that duplicated this DNA that came out of that stewardship to whom much is given, much is required. So my guess is you have a passion, or maybe you used to have a passion. Have you let that passion die out or, or, or get obscured? Maybe today one of the things that God will do is help you reignite, reemerge that singular kind of focus and passion to center your life. And probably as you think about that, think about maybe the five obstacles, the five deterrents. What's keeping you from pressing in on that? When you know your focus, everything else becomes movable. You do what you have to do to stay focused. That's kind of an incredible message, isn't it? Now, just to illustrate this, in the elementary school, the, the teacher said to the students on the first day, let's get to know each other. Uh, please tell us who you are and tell us about your favorite animal and why. And so everybody went around the class doing that. And finally, it came to Johnny. He said, I'm Johnny, and my favorite animal is fried chicken. <laughs> and everybody laughed, of course. And she said, OK, let, let's try this again, Johnny. What's your favorite live animal? Uh, he thought for a minute, he said, oh, it's chicken. And she said, why? Because you can fry it, right? She said, okay, start over. Let's change the subject. Uh, tell me about a hero in your life. So everybody went around and came back to Johnny, and his answer was Colonel Sanders. Um, <laughs> that's centering. That's focus. So let it be understood. You're not an accident. You didn't just happen. You are part of a great company of imperfect people. In fact, save one, all of us are imperfect. We bring warts and all, right? We bring limitations, deficits, weaknesses, and God glories in changing our weaknesses into a stewardship of strength. So maybe just ask yourself, what's in my hand? What is it that God gave to me to steward? Because he gave it to me, I have a requirement. I have an obligation to reinvest that. Uh, you might remember uh, David, for instance, or as they called him back in those days, Davy, before he was King David. What did he have in his hand? A slingshot and a stone. He used it. He felled Goliath, right? And he was known throughout the land. Saul had his thousands, but David had his ten thousands. How did that happen? 
he was exercising the gift that he already had. Or Moses, the staff in his hand. Or maybe even you take Sammy, or as he became known, Samuel. Uh, or you take Samson and his great strength. You could go down through every book of the Bible and you'll find imperfect people understanding to whom much is given, much is required. Here's how Paul put it in his letter to the Philippians. Pretty succinct. Philippians 1.21 says this, For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That was his center. That was his passion. He goes on in that same uh, book in chapter 3 to say it this way, but whatever I had to gain, and Paul had a lot of credentials. He was wealthy, he was educated, he was influential. He said, all that I had gained, I counted as but a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of many other things. In fact, I just counted them as rubbish in order that I may champion Christ. Not that I have already obtained all this or that I'm perfect, he says. But this one thing I do. I press on to make my own life count. Why? Because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, the past with all of its failures, with all of its trophies, and all of its good and bad, that I put behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Therefore, I press on toward the goal of the prize of my upward calling in Christ Jesus. That's passion. That's saying whatever I had, I am responsible to utilize to expand that passion. So I hope you're grateful as a church for the opportunity to be a part of something like Calvary Church. To be a part of something like the center. Your thumbprint's on it. Your DNA's in it. It wouldn't have happened without your hard work your generosity, your prayer, your support, and perhaps most significantly of all, modeling for all to see. Because we use Calvary Church so often as the example of how to live these things out. So we count on you. Does that make sense? I see this cartoon uh, that, that maybe is a good one for you to remember. A uh, Jethro... <laughs> What will we ever do with all these round wheels that Jeb gave us? Don't just be an attender. Say, I've got something. God's given to me. And then just be sure. To whom much is given, much is required. We will give an account. And with that account will come the glory that belongs to God. Uh, there's a second principle that we centered on here at the center was part of our foundation. And that's this. Wise people seek and heed wise counsel. Telling the truth to people sometimes aggravates them. Makes them mad. 
Sometimes what they need to hear is what they put up a resistance from hearing. And so we practice what we call radical candor. Let's speak the truth in loving ways to help leaders, to help those that are managing their family business, their corporation, their nonprofit, their church. They're trying to lead it well. But many of them would tell you it's hard to have somebody actually tell you the hard truth when you need it. But here's what we find. That those that seek counsel are often sought for counsel. And one of the most amazing things to me was this. You would think that rookie, wet behind the ears, novices would be quick to seek counsel, right? Because they don't know what they're doing. But what we actually have found over the years is that it's the mature, it's the wise, it's the influential, it's the decision makers, it's the people who really do have their passion invested in that which God gave to them to manage. They're the ones that seek counsel. They're the ones willing to make hard decisions. But as you probably know, you can't make a good decision if you don't have good information. I don't know if you've ever been to a doctor, but they're there to help what? Analyze, diagnose, and tell you the truth so that you can treat what's ailing you, right? You don't want the doctor I had growing up. He said, just get up every morning, stand in front of the mirror, and if you see three of anything, call me. But when you look at carpenters, electricians, mechanics, pilots, all of them have, at the very core, a sense of expertise and training. And they're the ones that often are the ones seeking how to advance that passion and that skill set. Have you ever noticed that the world's greatest athletes, the world's greatest musicians, they all have coaches. What are they doing? They want to ramp up those skills that God has given to them. So when you think about seeking counsel, uh, don't make the mistake that Edward John Smith made. He was very accomplished. But as he aged, instead of seeking counsel, he became arrogant and proud and self-sufficient. And Edward John Smith actually was the captain of a very prestigious ship in the White Star Fleet. Uh, the British company had launched several uh, of these wonderful ocean liners. For their day, they were state-of-the-art. And he was the captain of one such, and he had a collision with the HMS uh, Hawk and uh, kind of T-boned the ship. That was a little embarrassing for a captain that should have known better. And no sooner had that ship been overhauled from its great damage that he ran it aground in shallow water over another ship that had wrecked years before. And he tore a hole in the hull of the ship. Now, in order to repair his reputation, he worked hard to be appointed 
the captain of the Titanic. The unsinkable ship, right? In fact, uh, it was uh, just 40,354 days ago, uh, or April 15, 1912, that the unsinkable ship sank. And after the inquiry of what happened, how could this happen? After the inquiry, they narrowed it down to one person. It wasn't an iceberg. It wasn't the ship, even though there were problems with both of those. It was the arrogance of the captain. It was the pride and indifference to the warnings that had been given. Just an hour and ten minutes prior to the sinking of the Titanic, he was overheard saying to the guest, this is the most amazing British trophy of ingenuity. Why? Because you could cut the ship in three pieces and it would still stay afloat. There's never been a ship like it. As he was washed off the ladder up to the bridge to his death, along with 1,500 other people, he had ignored warnings. He left with an untrained, unprepared staff of people, which were under his command. They could have had 48 lifeboats. They had 20 on board. Icebergs were reported in the area. He didn't care. In fact, to repair his reputation, he had said to many of his staff on the bridge where there was a sign posted over the control center that said, moderate speed, passenger comfort. That was their motto. He said, we're going to set a new record for crossing the Atlantic. We're going to arrive in New York early. And it will be to the amazement of all. Wise people seek and heed wise counsel. Maybe you're in that situation today. You've become cocooned and isolated and self-sufficient and trying everything you can to preserve yourself and your own dignity to the point that you will not seek help. And if you got it, you might not hear it. You want a good exercise? Just, just take the book of Proverbs and compare the word foolish and wise. Foolish and wise. Foolish and wise. You will get a tremendous education from that. It will remind you of Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. James 1, 5 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you generously. He doesn't hold it back. He wants you to seek Him. And there are so many good illustrations of that in Scripture. And then lastly, the principle that really was part of the foundation of the center and then also becomes a challenge to each of us is this. We are better together. We're better together. And I would encourage you today sometime to read 1 Corinthians 12. It's almost got that edge of humor to it, right? Hey, if we were all afoot, where would the sense of seeing be? Or if we were all an ear, I'm sure some cartoonist could make an ear just walking around, right? And the idea is we need each other. 
We were met for community. You think of the great teams in Scripture, whether it was Moses and Aaron or Moses and Joshua, whether it was David and Jonathan, whether it was uh, Mordecai and Esther, uh, whether it was Jesus and his disciples, or Daniel and his friends, or Paul and Silas, or Paul and Barnabas. They formed teams because it made the labor to divide both the joy and the burden of it. It's easy, by the way, when you attend a church like Calvary, to think, they don't need me. They got lots of people. And that's true. We do have a lot of people. But we don't have one of you. If you're not contributing in some way, and you're missing some of the joy, the sense, that foundational centering of life, that let's do life together as part of a community. And at the center, that's one of the things that we champion. There are so many lonely leaders. There are so many uh, lonely people who have so much to offer. God's entrusted it to them, but they're not using it as a team. You know, when you work as a team, sometimes you hurt each other. You bump into each other. Bruise people bumping into bruised people, right? Don't let that stop you. Join the team. We love the team that we have. We share in the glory of the fruits that come, that reflect back our Creator, that reflect your DNA. And we struggle as others struggle. We weep with those that weep, and we rejoice with those that rejoice. That's that great concept in Scripture of being a community. So I want to encourage you, please pursue that. Not far from the home where I grew up in Michigan this last week, uh, there was a carjacking, and uh, the carjacker hijacked a car with a child in the back. And the woman was frantic, went out into traffic, waving her hands. And um, a school bus stopped. Opened the door in a frantic, she said, my child has been abducted in a carjacking. The bus driver, number one, wisely, called 911. Then he got on his radio, and he said, attention all other bus drivers. Guess what? We're looking for a car that matches this description and a little boy of this age. Within 45 seconds, 45 seconds, less than a minute, a bus driver spotted them. They were able to get the boy to his mother within about 10 minutes of him being carjacked. Teamwork. We need each other. Well, I want to close with this uh, prayer in Scripture. And it just reminds us of this idea, much is given, much is required. Wise people seek and heed wise counsel. And we're better together. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective 
for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you or through you. Today we celebrate. Today we thank you. And today we challenge each other. Let's keep going in this great direction that God has called us to. Join me in prayer, please. Uh, Gracious God, I am very thankful today to be able just to represent the Word of God and to share it in a way that hopefully is challenging, a a reminder that you are uh, worthy of the celebration that's happening today because the center has grown up its very roots from this soil And uh, you've blessed it and challenged thousands and thousands of lives as a result of health that has come to those organizations and those people. So, uh, Lord, I want to thank you that you have given us the opportunity as a church to make a difference. I thank you for Jay and all the members of our pastoral team, the big difference they made, and those leaders that commissioned the starting of the center those many years ago. Bless Jay and his transition. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.